Welcome to Best Me Radio. I'm your host, Carl Hammington, and I talk to experts in many areas, including movement, psychology, nutrition, as well as other inspiring people who have done extraordinary things, all in an attempt to provide you with the information, inspiration, and tools that will empower you to step into the best version of yourself. Hello all the way from Mexico, which is really interesting timing because recently I've been learning all about the shamanic practices of the Mayan people and their practice and value around life force, which reflects exactly what Paul Cech was talking about in the previous episode, part one. Now today we're getting into part two, and as we know with Paul, he's not only a holistic wellness practitioner, but he's also a shamanic healer with a huge experience in many forms of spiritual practice, including over 400 shamanic experiences. So we're building on the last interview, and we dive deeper into the exploration of self, God, spirit, consciousness, ego and its many forms, when it serves us well and when it doesn't, religion versus spirituality, and obviously a whole lot more. Um, What I find really interesting is he describes the four most common denominators of spiritual well-being, And then he gives us some really practical and applicable tips um, around developing your spiritual well-being, which I think is definitely worth listening to. So if it gets a bit heavy for you halfway through, which we get very, very intense, I love it. But if it's a bit too intense, there's some really easily applicable tools at the end there. So hang in there. And I think you'll enjoy the end. And we also learn a little bit more about Paul and what inspires him and what he recommends to read um, and the way he works there. So get ready to challenge yourself and evolve your spiritual well-being. So um, coming back to what it means to be human, a lot of people believe that, you know, consciousness is a big a big part of what makes us human. Um, yeah. H- how do you feel like consciousness fits, fits into the, uh, the human uh, humanization or the human being? Well, I think first we have to define what that means first of all nobody really knows for sure what consciousness is i've done a lot of research into that and i talk about that a lot in my holistic lifestyle coach training at level two and three in level three we get significantly deeper such as what happens to you when you die and things like that Mm. Um, you know i am a medicine man the spirit guy and i've done approximately 400 shamanic journeys and i've had death experiences all sorts of stuff on the medicines and and uh and i've done a lot of spiritual work and i started wow. training in meditation with the monks when i was 15 i studied medical qigong tai chi i learned tai chi from master fong Hao, one of the masters in the ancient lineage that's still alive i i did tai chi every day and meditated regularly for mm-hmm. over 15 years and i still meditate pretty much every day and do tai chi most days so I've tapped in deeply and I've had complete union experiences where I've become one with all that is, both naturally and with medicines. And I've done a lot of specific explorations asking my soul to guide me to get answers to these questions. So in a nutshell, what I found out is really that what we call God is actually unconditional love. And unconditional love can only be symbolized mathematically by a zero because by definition, the source of that which is or the source of existence is non-existence. Anything in existence could be weighed, measured, or counted in some way, shape, or form. And it's everything and nothing at the same time. <laughs> well, well, you know, we they used to think space was a vacuum, but all the way back into to the days of Plotinus and even before, Plotinus said 
that space is not only a vacuum, it's a plenum. He showed that the emptiness is also constantly producing the fullness. So in my investigations, I found that God is unconditional love and that unconditional love is mathematically equivalent to a zero. And a zero has two qualities. It's absolutely empty of anything, but it's also full of everything. <laughs> so, you know, depending on where you put a decimal point, and a number determine, you know, so if you have $100, then you have one zero zero decimal point. But if you move it the other way and you have decimal point zero zero one, you have one hundredth of a dollar mm. or a penny or something like that, you know, a penny. Yeah. So consciousness is actually what what is the absolute. So if you study the Bible, for example, it uses words to describe God such as omnipresent, which means all present, omniscient, all knowing, omnipotent, all powerful. Mm. So we take that concept out of the Bible, and I could give you many descriptions from other religions, no problem. But we take that out of the Bible and we say, well, what does science have to say? Well, we say science says that everything that is in the universe emerges from the zero point field. If you study Bentov's work, you'll find that he shows that in any time you have vibration, a sine wave, that he gives the example of a pendulum. He says when a pendulum swings, if you were to plot the swing out mathematically, it would be a sine wave. Mm -hmm. Just like a heartbeat has a positive and a negative. You mm -hmm. inhale and exhale, all peristalsis. We're all moving in these undulating waves, and we are a combination of waves. But what Ben Bentov showed is that when the pendulum reaches the end of its swing in one direction, there's a flash moment where it's at a dead stop. And he says, by scientific definition and mathematical proof, the pendulum's located everywhere in space at one time. It's literally in every place at once because it's come to a dead stop. It's just that we don't see it because it's there for such a short period of time. So when you look at a sine wave, where the wave leaves the flat line, when someone dies, we say they flatline. Yep. So if you think of a sine wave, it all has to, everything that's sound or vibration emerges from silence. So God or zero is actually the silence that gives birth to vibration, which in metaphysics is called sound. And sound is really just a name that means anything that's moving. So consciousness is what I believe God is. It is the background state of the silence that is mm. connected to everything because it's moving at absolute speeds. It's, it's already been there and back before you can even measure it. And that's what an absolute is. An infinity is something that's moving so fast it's already there and back before you can measure it as well. But infinities are specific. Like you can have, you know, an infinity of... Uh, your your uh, an infinite life of this, or in other words, infinities can be applied contextually, but the absolute is the absolute, yeah. and the absolute is zero. So, you know, um, basically, life and existence is zero with a twist, and the twist is depicted in the Tai Chi symbol as the S. Mm -hmm. Or if you make a Mobius strip, all you got to do is take a strip of paper give it one half turn, a 180 degree turn, and then glue the two ends together. So take a 
belt, and instead of putting it together like you normally would, turn the belt 180 degrees so the back side sticks up, and you can see the back of the belt. That's called a Mobius strip. Mm. If you take a Mobius strip, which is like a physical representation of zero, there's something very interesting you can do with it. If you take and put a dot on it with a pencil or a pen and then start pulling the strip through and just keep pulling, you will actually draw a line all the way around both sides without ever lifting your pencil up. So paradoxically, it's a, a two-dimensional but the inside and the outside are one. So the point I'm making is that God is like a Mobius strip, and the empty and the full of zero are really one, and the inside of us is a mirror of the outside. Yeah. As above, so below is the alchemical dictum, and as below, so above. So the point that I'm making is that God and consciousness and the absolute and stillness or non-movement which is the reference for which that which is moving is consciousness. Hmm. The human being and anything with a nervous system or potentially other systems that I won't go into, but we'll stick to nervous systems is conscious of. Yeah. So the reason they have such a hard time figuring out with consciousness is because they're looking for it to be generated in a given location. The universe and even space that's completely empty is highly and as the nervous system of any creature grows it has greater capacity for consciousness and and um, bentov described consciousness as the total information carrying capacity of any system and this is where we're at now with artificial intelligence there's a yeah. lot of debate can artificial intelligence be conscious can it replace human consciousness etc but that's consciousness as the total a system can carry the more potential it has for consciousness but remember our brains have more neural connections than there are stars in the known universe so it's going to take quite a computer system to match that up <laughs> but with quantum computation and the and the and the world wide web think of each computer like a brain we've got a lot of connections so we're getting mm. damn close to that kind of computing power in the any electronic systems around the world that are linked together. Wow. Yeah. So good point. the point I'm going to conclude with is that consciousness in caps, all caps is the background state that is behind movement itself. Mm. It is absolute. It is zero. It is God, capital G, capital O, capital D. What you and I call consciousness, we're listening to each other talk. We're looking at each other on Skype right now. We are conscious of what we can pick up through our sensory system. And interestingly enough, your sensory system cannot pick up anything that doesn't move. Ah, yeah, good point. Your, everything you pick up in your sensory system is only there because it's moving. For example, if you numb the eye muscles or paralyze them, you cannot see. The eyes constantly moving in small movements called saccades. Your eyes constantly wiggling. And without that wiggle, you cannot see. You can't. Mm. What is heat? Heat is vibration. Yeah. The higher the heat, the higher the vibration. Cold is a slower vibration. So cold is a longer and longer, slower and slower wave till you get to absolute zero. 
Yeah. And heat is a faster and faster wave, which is why things glow when they're really hot. And so if you heat metal up high enough, it'll glow white hot. But when it cools, it's red hot or blue hot, for example. Yeah. So the point I'm making is that the human sensory system, my voice is vibration. Light is mm. vibration. You're only conscious of something that moves. And the more developed the sensory system of any living organism or any instrument the more information it can process and the more information any system can process technically by definition the more conscious it is so the distinction then is consciousness relative to conscious of that is a fantastic so many questions from that but i'll try not to get sidetracked (laughs) um the other question i have for you is um around ego so do you think ego is something that is uh, is human do you think it's um Perhaps it has its uses, obviously. Could we perhaps flesh out uh, when ego is very useful and when perhaps it doesn't serve us best as well? Absolutely. First of all, one of the definitions of ego is border, barrier, or self-definition. So any creature that has the urge to move away from pain and move toward pleasure or to feed itself or protect itself, by definition, has an ego because it has a border, a barrier, and a sense of self-definition. As the nervous systems get more complex, then they get more complex egos. What most of us talk about as an ego is really often referred to as an ideaplex because the child is born without an ego And it takes about 21 years in a healthy environment for the ego to actually form so that the person has a full sense of self-identity and self-awareness. Most of what we take in, our brains are on full download for the first seven years of our life. Those are the most critical programming stages. And then by about 12, there's a pairing process, but the, 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 information gathering and the programming that ultimately leads to this self-plex of information that says this is my shoes those are yours i practice this religion you practice that one i have this color skin you have that color skin get out of my space i love you i hate you that that ego in a normal healthy society takes 21 years to develop so that ego is very, very important, but it's also potentially dangerous Mm. because it leads to um, disconnection. Mm. It leads to disconnection from the whole uh, because it creates a sense of self-identity. So it creates separation, and the greatest source of fear is a sense of separation from others and a sense of separation from the earth or a sense of separation from what we really are. Now, There's a lot of religious ego bashing and spiritual ego bashing, but that to me is just poorly thought out and and quite immature because one of the key functions of the ego and absolutely the key function is, is love. Because if there was no ego, you would have no capacity to love. You first have to know that you're capable of loving. So you have to say, I love you. Notice the word I. I love I I love myself. When someone's a big blurry love mess. (laughs) 
Well, you see, when you say I love myself, what you think of as I is actually the consciousness within you. It's God recognizing itself as a sentient entity, but not realizing that it's God. You know, people used to go to St. Francis of Assisi and ask him how to find God. And he would say to them, what you are looking for is what's looking. Hmm. And that that's, you see, the ego creates the separation from the capital S-E-L-F, the whole of everything, or God, so that there can be the experience of subject and object. Because if there's no subject-object, then there is no way to think, and there's no way to separate yourself from anything else, and therefore life loses its meaning and context. Hmm. You might as well just be a hose that doesn't know whether it's water (laughs) or gasoline running through it. (laughs) So the... Chief function of the ego is to create a subject-object split, so that you can say, um, you can say, I can say, I love you, Carl. I love you too, Paul. <laughs> I really, wanna, I'm really grateful for this podcast. I can express my love. But you see, when I'm projecting my love to Carl. And I define love as the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self or other. So you see, we have to direct our consciousness to what we want to project love to. So there's a flow of energy and information. And empathic means to feel. I'm feeling the connection to you. Compassion means to understand. So if there was no ego, then how would I know that there was a difference between Carl and Paul and how would I know what direction to put my intention? And because God is a zero and is everywhere simultaneously at all times, if you don't put the two polarities that make space itself into tension, yin and yang, the male and the female, the empty and the full, then consciousness has nowhere to direct itself. And it is the ego, which is the executor, which decides what it's going to intend And the spiritual growth is about um, harvesting the ego to the point where it doesn't act as too much of a filter, and it actually has the awareness that it is everything. You know, you couldn't be here without earth, water, fire, air, and space. Mm. That's what makes us up. We're stardust at the end of the day, aren't we? (laughs) So consciousness has nothing to work with without those elements of earth water fire and space but it's largely people don't realize when they're talking about themselves they don't realize that every one of us is made of the same stuff yeah and this there's no separation in space anywhere in the universe mm. and so the reality of it is that we are so much the same until we have an ego that can say my name is paul check this is where i was born these are my people who are your people this is what i'm interested and so the ego actually allows us to direct the flow of consciousness and i also define um love as consciousness becoming aware of itself and nothing's more powerful nice. for, for enlightenment than the experience of love beautiful um, also, in terms of ego, when when does it not serve us well? When do you think uh, we can can we take ego too far? And what are the sort of ramifications of that, in your opinion? If we Donald become- Trump, 
<laughs> that's okay. We've covered that then. That's fine. That sums it up very that's nicely. It. That's yeah. what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty uh, ugly. Yeah, but you know, he, he is a projection of 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 the unconscious of mm. all of us. Actually, mm. even even New Zealanders, we all have a part in this. There, oh, you know, you study the mind, uh, you realize our acting so becomes a problem in two key ways over encapsulation or over inflation mm. if you over encapsulate the ego it creates a sense of separation so someone who's insecure is an encapsulated mm. ego somebody who's too isolated and doesn't participate in life is encapsulated yeah. um Often people that are in depression are suffering from heavy ego encapsulation. Mm. They feel disconnected from the flow of love, relationships, and yep. nature. Yep. Um, so ego encapsulation is anything that brings you down into yourself like a turtle going into its shell that doesn't want to come out. And then you cannot effectively love. Because mm. you you have to connect. Remember the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection. So encapsulation cuts off the connection so it's kind of like all of a sudden the power goes out in your house there's not much you can really do unless you're going to light a fire in your living room yeah. on the floor or something. um ego inflation now that's donald trump so mm. inflation means that you over esteem yourself or you uh, you have a false appraisal of your skill your beauty your ability your intelligence your power your strength, dot, dot, dot. So the problem with ego inflation is that it tends to um, disable the sharing mechanism of love. And, and so it's all about me, I, me, my, are the uh, inflation words, I, me, my. Um, And the inflated ego tends to um, not recognize the importance of everybody else in their life so whenever we're doing anything like you're talking to me right now and you're using equipment that was made so inflation of the ego really expresses itself in a variety of ways you know i i think i mentioned you know people that are inflated have an overestimation of their power their skill their beauty their strength their intelligence etc but when an ego gets inflated, it actually creates a center that is unaware of the um, myriad of connections from other people and, and nature itself that are sustaining it and allowing it to exist and, and supporting its existence. So, for example, if you get someone with an inflated ego, look at Michael Jordan, for example. He was a great athlete. But he caused wow. all sorts of problems on the team, yeah. And and um, there was a lot of infighting, and and then the team had lots of problems with wage wars because he kept demanding more money than everyone else wanted money. And then because he was, you know, had his hands on the ball a lot, other athletes started being frustrated because they were there to play too. So um, he was fortunate enough that that he could back up his inflation with action. So he got away with it. Yeah. But we're all familiar with people on sports teams that hog the ball. We've all been to gyms where bodybuilders on steroids are trying to push everybody off the equipment. Mm. 
oath and act like silverback gorillas. <laughs> um, we've seen people that think the world hovers around them. Um, we have people that that uh, that egos are so inflated. Look at Hitler. He thought that the only people that should be on the planet were the Aryan race, which led to a world war. So there's a very inflated ego. Mm. So the problem is, is just as ego encapsulation creates disconnection, but usually leads to isolation and depression, ego inflation leads to the impression of success, the impression of fame, the impression of power, but it debilitates relationships and always leads to a crisis of self. Yes. Beautifully done. Um, now we're going to we're going to um, divert a little bit here, and I'm going to come back to something you mentioned earlier. And I think this really needs to be um, explored and explained a little bit. I feel like there can be a little confusion around spirituality uh, and religion. And yeah. my, my question for you is: um, What can be some of the ramifications or consequences of uh, religious programming? Well, look at the news any night you want and there it is hmm. well more world more wars have been started over religious conflict than anything ever more death has been caused by religious conflict than any other source of death on this planet yeah. religions are sets of ideas but they have very important functions and there's two kinds of religion authentic religion and corporate religion corporate religion mm -hmm. is brainwashing to get money out of people. As Manly P. Hall says, if you go to a church Monday through Saturday, there's somebody sitting in there counting the money and trying to figure out how to get more on Sunday. Yeah. So we have tremendous confusion, and also research and brainwashing shows the Catholic Church had mastered brainwashing by the 8th century, and they've been perfecting it ever since. So... Uh, religion in its corporate sense really is about programming people to act and behave in ways that are profitable for the religion. And an example of that is Christianity as a general rule in the corporate branches of Christianity is the belief that you cannot get to God except through the church. Mm -hmm. So they put a stopgap between you and God, which is, you know, it's only because people are so unconscious that they even fall for a trick like that because thinking that you got to go to a church to find God hmm. is not only ridiculous, but Jesus in the Bible himself said, lift the stone and I will be there. Split the wood and I will be there. And what he means is because he was enlightened, he meant I am one with God. He didn't mean you weren't. Split, Lift the stone and I am there. He means God is everywhere, in the wood, in the stone, in the emptiness, in the fullness, in the anger, in the joy. And if you read Isaiah 45, 7, right in the King James Bible, it says, I create the light and the dark. I create good and evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Mm. But Carl, very important point. He said, all religious systems are designed specifically to protect you from the direct experience of God. And that's a very profound and true statement. What he means is that if we don't go through the dogma and the beliefs that encapsulate the traditional religious systems, 
that give us these ideas that you have to go to a church and you have to follow commandments and you have to dress a certain way and you can only eat certain things and you have to take certain days off and, and, and dot, dot, dot commandments. Those are all things that basically force us into ourselves that are designed to develop our minds to get us to the point where we realize that we have to go beyond the book and the rules to figure out who and what we really are, because none of those religions answer the deeper questions. So the other thing is, as a medicine man, spirit guide, who's had many very profound experiences, both with and without medicines, coming into the direct experience of God is very, very dangerous because it completely and utterly annihilates the ego. Mm. So if you, ego can be terrifying. It can be, it's extremely terrifying. And in fact, many people go into schizophrenic states and don't come out of it when they get too deep in, in uh, shamanic journeys or psychedelic, the use of psychedelic medicines. And I've probably had 30 people in the last 10 years come out of the jungle completely and utterly fractured. And when I look at their energy fields, I'm clairvoyant so I can see their energy field. They look like a, a glass a mirror that's had a big rock thrown at it. and They're just fractured into pieces, which in Native American Indian terminology is called soul loss. So oh. if a person does not develop a healthy ego and does not work through the challenges of life and get to the point where they're no longer ego encapsulated, but they have a deep connection to the self with a capital S, which means the earth and all the things that support us, the stars, then exposure to ego annihilation or God will be ultimately destructive to the survival of that person. And that disables God's ability to experience love. So you meant that religious systems are designed to create the resistance that we need to grow and develop ourselves to be an individuated whole person that realizes the importance of their individuality yet also has a deep sense of connection and reverence for the whole. Mm, so wow. um, you see the, um, the function of religion is to create mental, emotional resistance. So I call it spirit gym, just like you have to meet resistance in a gym to grow your physical abilities in your body and change the shape and the strength of your body. We have to meet emotional and mental resistance and religious systems are actually systems that lead us into beliefs that ultimately turn out to create a lot of stress in our body and our mind and our emotions and our relationships. But if we don't grow into ourselves and fully individuate and ask deeper questions and be brave enough to look into other philosophies and explore things so that we have direct experience and just instead of memorizing stuff written on paper as though it was the word of God, then we never really grow any authentic awareness and we only encapsulate or further enhance the intellectual ego, which is the idea plex. Hmm. So we actually remember the map is not congruent always with the territory. Anybody that's gone hiking or hunting knows that what the map says and what you find or anyone that's found themselves all of a sudden uh, following their GPS, but there's roadworks and the GPS does not know, know that that's going on or they built a new road or it's an old road that's not on the map. 
So what I'm saying is that what you read in religious books is often believed as the word of God as equivalent to the territory. But life experience teaches you that nothing you can learn in a church or a temple prepares you for the challenges of relationships or the challenges of deaths in the family or birth or 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 death itself only growing yourself spiritually to the point that you actually are brave enough to go beyond the book Rumi himself Rumi, uh, Rumi. Was, <laughs> yeah so Rumi was a, a Sufi mystic and Rumi said no man can get to God until he becomes a heretic huh. and what he, what he meant is you you have to go past the book you've got to go beyond the rules Arthur Young says, first you have to learn the rules and learn to use them in your favor. Then you can go beyond the rules. Mm. So um, now each religion, each world religion has a mystical branch, and that's where the rubber hits the road, baby. Those are the people who are really beyond the book. And this is where you get Kabbalah from Judaism. This is where you get Sufism from Islam. Mm. This is where you get mystical Christianity and people like, you know, Meister Eckhart and Matthew Fox and uh, St. Hildegard of Bingen and the Christian mystics. That, And interestingly, when you study the mystical branches, they're all telling us the same thing. In other words, if you study all the mystical branches – you will see that the great mystics are all saying the same things about God and about life and about love. But at the same time, the religions that they spawned from are fighting over everything and starting wars and destroying life and destroying each other all in the name of God. So spirituality differs from religion only because it's corporate religion, but the mystical branches of all the religions are really spirituality uh, encapsulated as a practice. Wow. And if you look back to Gnosticism, the Gnostics were people that were considered heretical, which means they went against the book. But Gnostics would get together in regular meetings and they would do things like say, oh, I had this experience doing this breathing exercise and they would share what they learned. I had, I tried this technique of meditation and I had a union experience and then they would say, okay, let's try that. So the Gnostics, which Jesus is thought to have come from were what religion truly is, which is people that <clears throat> got together to share their experiences and share ways that they experience more love and more connection and more union with God. But once that becomes corporatized, once there's a canon, a canon mm. means a code or fundamentalism, a set of rules, then that goes out the window. And that's what you use to train small minds. But the, the spirituality, by definition, means connecting to a greater whole. Beautiful. So the practice of spirituality encapsulated means to connect to a greater whole. And the ultimate is the samadhi, the moksha the nirvana, the unity experience where you realize that you are one with the universe and it is you and you are it. Mm. So spirituality is really a word that encapsulates any way of living or practicing that ultimately leads you to self-realization with a capital S, which is the equivalent of enlightenment. 
Beautiful. Excellent. So actually on that note, um, how would you define uh, spiritual wellness um, or I guess that's enlightenment? Not necessarily. Okay. Um, enlightenment is also highly specific. Uh, no Buddhist in an enlightenment experience ever sees Jesus Christ and no mm. Christian ever sees Buddha in an enlightenment experience. Mm. And so enlightenment experiences can be very, very specific. Um, a chemist can be enlightened, a pilot, an astronaut, mm. and they can have very, very different experiences of union. Edgar Mitchell gives very profound descriptions of the experiences he had in space. But those are not the same experiences that a yogi has meditating in a cave for three years in a row. Yeah. yeah. So, and this is what Ken Wilber calls levels and lines. And there's different levels of consciousness and there's different lines of intelligence. So a person can be an enlightened medical doctor and, mm-hmm. and, and they may feel they're doing God's work and they may draw intuition and consciousness from God as, as most great healers do. Mm, that makes sense. But spiritual uh, spiritual well being is a state of mind in which one embraces the challenges of life with the awareness that the challenges are there to grow them and to teach them and to give them the experiences that are necessary to help them live and love more fully and to share their knowledge that they've gained through meeting the challenge openly and honestly with other people. I I listed a lot of my injuries. Without those injuries, I would not have near the ability to have empathy and compassion or understand my patients because I've had so many different types of injuries and so much stress in my life. That when someone tells me they've had a death in the family, I know exactly what they mean. When someone says they're going through a divorce, I know exactly what they mean. I've been through a divorce after 17 years of marriage with a child. It was very painful. I've been through a midlife crisis. I've had a lot of these problems. And, you know, potential lessons. You see, each one of these injuries binds energy in us. Wherever we're holding on to pain or aren't forgiving somebody, we have invested energy in there, and that energy cannot rise up into higher states of consciousness. It can't reach the prefrontal cortex or the pineal gland. It cannot integrate our left and right brain hemispheres. The more of that stress, pain, and judgment we store, the more lopsided we become and the more stuck in our left brain and in a fight-or-flight mode, mm-hmm. and the world gets smaller and smaller. So someone who's got spiritual well-being doesn't lose the connection to the right half of their brain. They don't see it as God not loving them or caring for them. They actually see it as an opportunity for deep spiritual growth and connection, and they see it as an invitation on a journey. Yep. And the, the shamans say the more injuries and illnesses and pains a person's had in the past, the more likelihood they have as of becoming a shaman when they heal because all that energy now is liberated and you have deep empathy and compassion Mm. for Mm. a wide variety of people and circumstances that you've lived through. So spirituality as spiritual well-being means um, trusting that the universe is loving, trusting that the ultimate is God and that God is unconditional love and that everything, no matter how ugly it looks, is part of a process Mm. 
that you may not understand. And because you can't understand it, it leaves the door wide open for faith. If we knew everything and had everything, there'd be no reason for faith. Yep. So spiritual well-being is inter- intricately tied with grace and faith. Grace and faith. I like that. So what, what steps can uh, can an individual take um, to advance their spiritual development um, in terms of tools and techniques? What are some easy uh, some easy things that uh, perhaps the listeners at home may be able to try straight away. Uh, get the new edition of my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. Understand what the four doctors are. Both fantastic and, books, by the way. And, and, uh, and you know, I integrated the four doctor model into the new Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, so oh, you don't have beautiful. to read the books. There's a lot of information in the last four doctors you'll ever need how to get healthy now that isn't in How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy because I couldn't put two books in one without just making it a a Bible or something. (laughs) Uh, But the key point here is that our first order of business is to remember that our body is an antenna system and it is also a complex sending and receiving system, just like a two-way radio. And if you pour a strawberry milkshake into a two-way radio, you're an idiot. If you're frustrated, it doesn't work well. So, (laughs) Each of us has an individual uh, set of genetics and a a unique set of needs. And so the first step to spiritual well-being is to develop an intimate relationship with your body and learn to connect to your subconscious and your unconscious because, as Bruce uh, Lipton says, your subconscious mind has about four million times the processing power of your conscious ego mind. So the healthy body has access to all levels of instinct, intuition, personal unconscious, collective unconscious, and even the sacred unconscious, which is called the Imago Dei, which I won't get into. That's a long discussion. but <laughs> It's another podcast, that one. <laughs> yeah. And so you see, because your mind and your body mirror each other, if you have a sick body, you cannot, by definition, have a healthy mind. Mm. Think of your body like a mirror that reflects the divine. Well, if the mirror is covered with soot and crap Hmm. and junk food, you cannot ever see clearly what's happening. And so our body is a very, very wickedly finely tuned, highly complicated system that produces a perception of self-consciousness and has the capacity to change its frequency so that it can merge into everything all the way to God. And if you are, the more unhealthy you are, the more trapped in your body you become and the more stress hormones you produce and the more your nervous system turns its energies down into pure survival reflexes. And that is the opposite direction of connection to God and that means that you're dependent upon other people so you actually become a codependent yeah someone with spiritual well-being isn't one that shies away from the adventures in other words they're the great mountain bikers the great athletes the great explorers they're, in other words they're not trying to protect their body to the point that that they don't live because they the spiritual person knows that life is meant to be lived And that anything that you're going to do that's going to grow you is going to push you to your edges. But if you're a healthy person, you have a better chance of not getting injured and you always recover much Mm. faster. 
and more easily, um, you know, as a guy who used to own a physical therapy clinic, I can tell you when people would come to me that, that for example, were on workman's compensation and they didn't really love their job, they didn't want to get better because they got paid to, to have people rub on them and talk to them and nurture them all day. Yeah. But you get an athlete who's injured, who really loves what they're doing and wants to compete. You, the same person that's an athlete with the same injury can get better three, five, six, ten times faster than the person who really doesn't love what they're doing, which is why number one in my system is what do you love enough to grow and heal for? So spiritual well-being is really where you have the most freedom and you have the greatest capacity for change and power because you realize that you aren't the source of the power. Um, Sri Aurobindo, a famous mystic and philosopher from India, uh, he researched what he considered to be true spiritual masters. And these were people that could do miraculous healings and manifest objects out of thin air like Sai Baba or change the weather and, and things that were truly miraculous. And he found that there was four common denominators amongst the true spiritual masters. And I'm telling you this because these are the common denominators that make a person of spiritual well-being. Number one is they can turn a negative into a positive. Brilliant. Number two, they can create beyond the laws of physics. Hmm. Number three, they create equanimity and harmony wherever they go. Number four, they draw their power from unconditional love. They don't do the healings or the miracles. They become a vessel for the divine. Love it. Love it. Now, if you look at those four criteria, every one of us has the ability to take a negative situation, I got fired from my job, I fell off my mountain bike, I got a divorce, and turn it into a positive. Yep. I can become a better, better mountain biker, I learned something. Yep. I can now learn from my mistakes in my relationship, and I know more about the kind of partner I need, etc. Mm. So we can all turn a negative into positive if we choose to be conscious. We can all choose to bring equanimity and harmony to a situation, or we can be part of the problem and create more friction and more separation. We all create beyond the laws of physics. We all dream. We all think. And we all know that the way we think has a huge influence on the outcome of any situation or relationship with person, place, or thing. And quantum physics has shown beyond a shadow of a doubt that the beliefs and the thoughts in the mind of the experimenter cannot be separated from the experiment or the outcome. Well, we all have the ability to draw our power from unconditional love by developing a conscious awareness of what we really are. And the best way to start that is with your own body because it's what's ultimately going to guide you. And it was what pro was produced by unconditional love. Mm. So uh, I think I covered them all there. No, that's great. Um, I've got one more now, question. We all have it, and spirituality is the practice of growing and developing those four key qualities. Mm. There's some gold right there. That's uh, that's amazing. With um, in terms of tools and techniques, so um, I'm guessing that meditation is one tool um, to to grow spiritually as well. 
perhaps mindfulness yeah. and you mentioned plant medicines as well um yeah are there any other tools and techniques that you know uh, are, are a simple way to, to start or to integrate into your life there's a million of them <laughs> uh, you're, you're in the tool and technique uh, world a relationship you don't need a church all you got to do is be in a relationship yeah. with someone yeah exactly. uh, so being conscious being interested in the other person's wants feelings and needs mm. learning to listen with your heart not just your eardrums learning to listen to what's really being shared not just what's being said mm. um, connecting to nature uh, worship giving thanks for your food and for all that supports you and having reference for life itself, being grateful, um, having gratitude, sharing love with plants, animals, the earth, other human beings, understanding that we all want the same things and that behind every angry person or broken person is somebody who's in a lot of pain and needs more love and support, not less. Beautiful. Singing, chanting, just enjoying toning, life. Yeah. Uh, reading books by evolved people, so we can learn to experience how to perceive life through the life experiences of wise people. I mean, almost anything we do is a way to connect and grow yeah. spiritually if we are paying attention and holding the intention of learning, growing, loving, sharing, and becoming more. It's beautiful. So we can give more. That makes sense. So living a conscious and, and mindful life, it's all an opportunity to learn. You know, I teach my students that love is a boomerang. Whatever you put out will come back to you because one of the definitions for God is a sphere whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere. <laughs> Therefore, no matter where you're at in the world, no matter what behavior you put out, it will come back to you because by definition, if God is a center, a sphere whose center is everywhere, then you are that center. You're, you have choice. Therefore, you become a conscious center. And because God's circumference is nowhere, then by definition, whatever you throw out has to come back because you're the center and it only can return to you. So, you know, when we realize that we get what back what we put into the world, it makes us more conscious. And, and you can I, see it. You can see it everywhere. You know, if you have, yeah, yeah. you meet someone who's angry and pissed off and um, usually in pain physically as well. Um, you can see and, and listen and hear and feel what they're putting out there, and it's a direct reflection. Yeah. I mean, all the work I do with my private clients is about spiritual growth, no matter whether they come to me with cancer yeah. or structural yeah. injury or they want to be a better athlete. They all go through spiritual training, mm. and I won't work with anyone that's not inclined and open to that because um, – I'm not interested in creating more strength without more love. Yeah. The world doesn't need more of that. Nobody can deal with life alone. No yeah. matter, I don't care if you can bench press a thousand pounds and you can't get along with your wife and kids. What have you got? Nothing. Yeah. You're just a silverback gorilla. Yeah. And probably an inflated ego as well. Well, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, 
when my students often ask me, what can I do to grow spiritually? And I tell them, if you want one technique that is only the only thing you need whenever you're challenged in your life or challenged by other people or circumstances, ask yourself this question, what would love do now? And if you really get centered in yourself, you'll find yourself in situations where your heart says, this is what you should do. But your ego says, screw that fucker. <laughs> and so there you are in spirit, Jim, and you get to decide who is God to you, your ego or your heart. And spirituality is really a one and a half foot journey for most people from their head to your heart. And it can take many lifetimes to get your consciousness that one and a half feet. <laughs> That's beautiful. I love that. I think if we all took that on board, the world would be a far, far better place at the moment. Well, that's true, but we have to remember that the earth is a schoolyard, and this is a place where souls come to hatch into their experience of humanity. Mm. So, you know, a lot of people get frustrated that the earth has so much stress and violence and, and negativity in it. But I tell them, I say, look, if you go sit in a third grade classroom, would you get irritated because you're surrounded by third graders? <laughs> well, you're in a schoolyard of spiritual third graders and yeah. amongst them are teachers. And yeah. we have a strata of people that are very unconscious and no matter how much wealth or power they have, doesn't mean they're conscious. Donald Trump, unfortunately is a spiritual, you know, kindergartner, <laughs> but he has a lot of, power behind him because there's a you know kindergartners gang up together just like adults do yeah so and like you know you said before here's a reflection of us and well he is and, and and the point i'm making is it's 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 spiritually immature to think that the world's ever going to be a place where everything's hunky-dory yeah. because <laughs> you know if you understand that consciousness is a psychic substance produced not blindly but in living awareness of opposites, as Edward Edinger, MD, beautifully shared, then we have to have these opposite polarities or we cannot grow in consciousness. Just if you went to a gym and there was no weights to lift in there, you'd wonder what the hell happened. Well, we are creating the polarity for each other to realize what we are. And without this experience, God cannot know God. Because paradoxically, God, as the absolute, cannot know God. That would require a subject-object, which would mean God would be only relative. And so, therefore, that wouldn't be a God. So you, if the relative exists, you have to say, well, what's behind it? It's the absolute. So the absolute manufactures the relative, and that's what the two qualities in zero are. The empty, the feminine, and the full, the masculine, which creates Tai Chi, which creates movement, which creates the ability to be conscious of. And that's what the ohm symbol means, all vibration. The ohm symbol and the Tai Chi symbol mean the same thing, just from different cultures. So the point I'm making is Earth is spirit, Jim, and there is going to be murder, and there is going to be war, and there is going to be famine, and there is going to be class inequality. And that will be how it is for as long as Earth School exists, because mm -hmm. those are the tools in the gym of spiritual consciousness. So much truth in that. Now, I want to be respectful of your time, Paul. Um, do you have time for a few quick questions, some, some quick fire ones? 
yeah, I'll give you five minutes and I got to get ready Beautiful. to go. Like, see. <laughs> Answer them as fast, got, as fast two as and you and want to. boy who's probably standing in the driveway going, Daddy, Daddy. Oh, no. Okay, really quick then. Um, what's one? Who's one person that inspires you? Alive or, or past? Uh, we can go either or. Well, there's so damn many. I, I hate to keep <laughs> one name. Um, I'm very inspired by the Dalai Lama. I really believe the Dalai Lama is is somebody we should all look up to. And ideally, um, his leadership, if world leadership, could be the most radical transformation towards harmony on this planet there ever was. Yeah. Uh, I think Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama is probably one of the most enlightened human beings alive. That's a beautiful choice. Um, one book that's had the biggest influence on you and your development. <laughs> I know the big questions, and I know you find it really hard to think uh, um, to well, isolate one. Well, if you saw my library, I've got thousands. <laughs> I've, heard, of I've heard about this library. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say because of the nature of the show, "Stalking the Wild Pendulum" by okay. Itzhak Bentov. I T Z H A K Bentov. Beautiful. That is a mind blowing book because it teaches you in a scientific left brain framework what spirituality, God, mysticism. Um, I will be getting what that, that really today. is. <laughs> what is um, what are you working on currently with your spiritual evolution, or is it everything? Like we just well, I, every day is a process for me. You know, I, I meditate, I do tai chi, I I pray, I connect to nature, I work with challenging people and challenging situations and beautiful people that are having challenging situations. Beautiful. I, run a worldwide business. I have two wives. I have a 39-year-old son and a two-and-a-half-year-old son. Um, You've got a lot going on. <laughs> you know, I, 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 really, I really do my best every day to live everything I teach so that I don't have to deal with my own shadow, which is yeah. a, really, a real impediment to spiritual growth. Not that I don't have one. I just do my best not to enhance it. Of course. Um, so really I think for me, it's the practice of contributing to the world that is my main spiritual growth process. And I must say you're doing a, you're doing a fantastic job and, and thank you, um, from, from the bottom of my heart for you, um, coming on today. I really appreciate your time, um, considering how much you've got going on. Well, my pleasure. And, um, uh, I hope people feel inspired to go to the Czech Institute's website and uh, look at the uh, much lot of information we have for people. They can get newsletters. They can look at the Czech Institute blog. If people want to go to my personal blog, it's uh, www.paulchesblog.com. Um, I have over 500 videos for people for free. That's part of my social service is making educational videos for the public. And my YouTube address is youtube.com forward slash Paul C-H-E-K live all stuck together. YouTube.com forward slash Paul check live. And there's so much good stuff on those websites, but I, I still say this to all of my clients and everyone I come into contact with and my realm and that is um the eat move, move and be healthy book um is still the best wellness book on the planet i, I believe anyway so well thank you it took me a lot of a lot of uh, life experience and and clinical experience to put that together 
And actually what Eat, Move, and Be Healthy is is a collection of the handouts <laughs> of all the things I had to keep saying to people over and over and over again because so many people had the same problems. I finally woke up and said, why do I have to keep waiting for people to be <laughs> broken and sick and pay me lots of money? Give I'll just take all these patient handouts, tie them together as mm. a book, and for 25 bucks, you can save yourself a myriad of doctors and therapists yeah. in your life and learn how to you know, live and love more fully and tune the instrument of God up. It's got everything in there. It's got everything in there. Um, now, if you can leave a listeners with one idea, a piece of information, uh, or something to ponder um, to help them step into the best vision of, of themselves today, what would that be? Always ask the question, what would love do now when you're feeling challenged? Brilliant. Well, there you go. Paul Check, part two, spiritual wellness. Go and check out part one if you haven't listened to it yet because it sets it up really nicely and it gives it some good context. Also, you get to know Paul a little bit better too. Um, as I said in the previous episode, please go and check out the show notes because I've referenced uh, what Paul has referenced in the interview. So you've got some links here to go and do some further reading as well. And as I said in the interview, please go and check out um, Eat, Move and Be Healthy. In my opinion, it's the number one wellness book on the market. Keep improving yourselves and continually step into the best version of yourself. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.